Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Interfish Podcast, where we dissect the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I'm joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo, Reporter Demi Corbin, and Senior Reporter Lola Navarro. We've got a lot of stuff on our list from this week. It has been a crazy news week for seafood. Um, Lola, why don't we go to you first, though. Um, let's talk about Nova Austral's uh, troubles. They were in the news um, just last week uh, in an announcement of their relocation of their, uh, of their concessions out of a national park. Uh, in Magallanes, but this week they were in the news for a uh, not-so-great incident, or at least allegations. Can you um, tell us a bit about what uh, has occurred and what it may mean? Well, uh, yeah, like you're saying, last week it was a completely different story. Um, But also a month ago they, they were in the middle of a battle for for, for these concessions that they bought in Cabo Pilar in the south of, of the Magallanes region. So I don't think it's been a very good um, year for, for Nova Austral so far. This week what's happening is that a Chilean newspaper has uh, reported that the company has been misreporting mortalities in order to um, to meet some requirements and, and make it look like their mortalities were below 15%. Um, and this obviously, well, it's it's not proven yet. The company has denied it. And and the and the newspaper says it's been an investigation that's been going on for, for months and they've shown some mails or some mails that are allegedly true, but the company is saying that they're gonna investigate whether these mails have been manipulated by a third party. So, so that's where everything is standing right now. Nothing is proven. Nothing is, nothing, nothing can be said that is true. Serna uh, Pesca has now opened an investigation into the allegations, and well, the repercussions. I think, I think they're pretty bad. Whatever the outcome, this is just not good for the industry. In Australia, like I was saying, have been uh, struggling with uh, <clears throat> a lot of demonstrations from activists, Greenpeace, and and others. They had big problems when the Norwegian royal couple went down there to Chile and they were faced with um, demonstrations complaining about the new concessions because they were being accused of starting salmon farming in virgin areas. Um, So whatever happens now, I think this is bad for the image of the company, for the image of the industry in Chile as a whole. As you know, uh, it's been a bad couple of months with also media broadcasters just um, putting out programs about how bad salmon farming is, not only in Chile, but also in Scotland. We had the BBC, the BBC One as well. So this is just a very, very bad timing for this. I cannot say whether this is true or not. This is happening and whatever the, the outcome, I think is just going to be negative for everyone. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stay in people's minds as in another salmon farmer is misreporting or a salmon farming farming company is misreporting again and and these things stay there for a long time and normally normally bad news are the ones that last longer so even if if this is proven to be false and if the company is proven to be innocent uh, i don't think this is good at all for the industry as a whole we had the <clears throat> patagonia report coming out actually this month and and it was like a 25 minute documentary i think it was or, or 
or a bit longer, I, I can't recall right now, but it was pretty negative. It was very bad about um, salmon farming in the south of Chile. And this is just only going to going to add more negativity to the industry. So everyone's been really excited about uh, Magallanes, or at least in the salmon farming industry and the potential there. But taking all this together and putting all this together, what's your feeling about expansion in Magallanes, say, compared to a year ago? Do you think the industry is has a bit more of a realistic view about um, what the prospects are? I would say it's always been very clear that the industry in Magallanes wasn't going to grow as much as, it, as it's grown in the other areas in Aysen and Los Lagos, just because um, the regulators made sure that uh, there were no more applications coming through, so that there was a limitation in, in salmon farming in the area. I think um, there are areas where salmon farming is already established, and I think in these areas it is still very, very likely that the industry will continue to thrive. I think it's as has been reported um, a very, very positive or, or a very <clears throat> good place for salmon farming. And this is not going to change. Now, is it going to expand to new areas? I think that's where I think that's what the question is. It's still a good area to farm. I don't know that uh, it's going to be easy for companies to just uh, come to new places and establish salmon farming in new places. I think this was always going to be a challenge. The communities are not as accepting in the south of Chile, well, in the very, very south, as they are in Aysen and Los Lagos, and they have had actual problems in those two areas. And and it's just I think I think they need to find the balance. They need to understand that, or they, they understand at this point that this industry is very good for Chile. It gives a lot of jobs and, and exports, and it's one of the main industries uh, for the country. So they just need to do it right. And I think what's going to happen is that those companies who already have their concessions approved are going to continue to build. But um, it's going to be it's going to be dif- difficult to to come to new areas. Uh, this is not to say that Magallanes is not good anymore. I, th- I still think there is going to be um, a growing industry down there, but they just need to do it in a sensible way. They need to take into account nature. They need to take into account uh, people's complaints because they are not coming out of the blue. And, and I think this is all being very, very clear to everyone right now. And Nova Austral has just been uh, in the spotlight for this and I think they're realizing now I've been talking to the executives and they said to me this is legal everything that we're doing is legal and I'm talking now about the concessions that they bought down there um, they said everything that we're doing is legal so um, we brought a lot of jobs to the areas where we were before and we're planning to do the same in this new area but they've been well, they've been faced with the truth. This is not going to be as easy. The industry is not what it was 20 years ago when they arrived, and and people like people's voices are much much louder now. So, it just needs to be done sensibly. It needs to be done taking into account everything, social license, and and everything else. And and I think it's it's just different times for for starting the business there. Demi, you reported a story this week uh, about. Uh, BP Ventures, which is a venture arm of British British Petroleum, the oil giant, uh, into Callista. So tell us a bit about uh, what this is going to mean for 
feed alternatives. And for Callista, you interviewed uh, CEO Alan Shaw. What did he have to say? So, yeah, this I think this is huge because uh, BP is not the first person that's investing in Callista. So they're joining in on other backers. So we have that feed giant cargo who's already in support of Callista. And we have the Japanese conglomerate Mitsui and even investment uh, capital Aquaspark. So they're all in to support this alternative feed ingredient that Callista is bringing through the fermentation of natural gas. And they've actually patented what they uh, created, and it's called Feedkind. And but uh, but it's not really new because this this kind of feed ingredient was actually nabbed from uh, a Norwegian petroleum company in the 80s. So yeah, Alan was saying that it's all about scale. So this investment is just going to bring huge scale into what they're trying to do and into being able to crack into the aquaculture industry with their new uh, sustainable feed. So this is just one more feed uh, alternative that's gotten backed in a big way over the past couple of months. Um, Protix, the uh, insect meal producer, also opened a big plant uh, and investments in insect. Um, It just seems like this is really, really finally picking up. Um, and uh, Scredding CEO, uh, Teresa Logberyard, she mentioned at our New York City event that um, that these alternatives will need to be financed and supported by more than just the feed companies. So it seems to me that with this kind of backing that they uh, they become much more uh, much more of a re- reality than uh, than they were even even a year ago. Well, yeah, definitely. And that's because many of those big feed producers are realizing and aquaculture producers are realizing that there's this big gap in uh, feed that they need and that they need to move to alternative feeds in in order to like cater a very um, emerging market and bigger production of fish. So if they remain producing feed very traditionally and using fish to feed fish, then they're going to run out of fish and they're just ruining the environment with that. So the alternative market is booming and all investors are actually looking into backing such a market. But this is this also means something big to BP because BP, as a natural gas and oil company, wants to be able to trek into new markets. And so aquaculture was nothing that they've ever done before. So this is just their way to crack into a new market and try to leverage what could come out of that because they see that aquaculture is promising, especially because it's growing and by 2030 it's going to be huge. Yeah, and it's interesting because we're we're also um, doing some uh, some interviews with another major oil company uh, located in Southeast Asia who is also interested in utilizing similar technology to. Uh, produce uh, to produce um, uh, byproducts out of natural gas as well. So I have a feeling, especially with BP entering the sector, that suddenly things are are going to really speed up for uh, for fermentation on natural gas in particular, but feed alternatives um, in general. Um, so Demi, let's let's stick with you. Um, earlier today, uh, you broke some news on the North Sea cod. Um, tell us a bit about it. I mean, as background, the North Sea cod has been a, a fishery of, of large contention, and it's often sort of referred to, at least in the UK and in Europe, as kind of one of the 
one of the real trouble spots in sustainable fisheries and been held up as as a as one of the the major problems uh, with overfishing. But uh, but it got MSC certification um, in 2017. Um, the the certifiers there were felt comfortable that the fishery was sustainably managed. So tell us what this slash uh, in quota is going to mean, uh, both for its MSC certification and uh, and just for the the image of the fishery. Yeah, so there was a seventy percent cut from ICES on the North Sea fishery, cod fishery, and that's huge. And so what's going to happen is that the MSC reacted directly and said that their independent auditors might look into it. And so I spoke to the assessment body that looks into MSC certifications and their cold control union, PESCA, and they said that it's most definitely going to undergo an expedited audit just to reassess whether they meet the requirements for MSC. But MSC just stays out of this whole process because it's all part of uh, these, this independent audit that actually looks into it. Um, so yeah, so that might reassess what the, the stamp that they received in 2017. And they, they received this stamp 10 years after um, the stock of cod was about to collapse. So we, we realized that there's something fishy going on around uh, cod for a while now. But um, the Scottish Fisheries Sustainability Assessment Group didn't really take this decision lightly because they believe that it's really going to affect the industry, especially that they have more than 200 vessels in the fishery. So that's really going to be able to affect their uh, sustainability to and their able the, their ability to sustain themselves in the future. So, John, I mean, we, we've seen this in the past. We've seen um, certified uh, MSC certified fisheries go through. Uh, periods of struggle. Do you think that the MSC has a, enough of a a um, system in place to respond to these types of dramatic changes in biomass or in quota recommendations? And how should they handle it when a fishery runs into trouble like that? And uh, and you've got eco labeled product out there on the market. Well, I think I think what they may not be able to to handle and what was referred to by the Scottish group, I think, in their response was um, these may be the effects we're seeing of climate change. So how can how can the MSC or anybody else respond to impacts of climate change when we don't even understand what they're going to be or what, you know, how how big the scope will be? So if it truly is the result of climate change, then, you know, there's not a lot of great solutions. And this may not be the first fishery that sees trouble. I mean, we may see it at a rapid, uh, more rapid pace where fisheries that are certified and were considered, you know, recovered or at least stable may slide uh, the other way. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if this is the beginning of something um, more pronounced. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see um, both how the, the certifying body handles it, um, Demi, and how MSC goes about handling it, depending on what their results, what their results are. So let's uh, let's leave it there, folks. We got to scramble and chase all kinds of news because it, even though it's Friday, it doesn't stop. So thanks, John, Demi, and Lola. 
And we will catch up with everyone next week. Remember, just a little log rolling, we have our Salmon Summit in Trondheim during Aquanor coming up at the end of August. And we will be looking at Norway's development licenses. So it's going to be a fantastic panel uh, moderated by myself and uh, Intrafish.no editor Jörg Grinheim. And then after that, in September on the 19th, we'll be back in London with DNB uh, doing our uh, Seafood Investor Forum. And we've already got a fantastic lineup of speakers committed to that and more to come. So hope to see you there. Uh, thanks again, and we'll speak next week. <laughs>